So good morning, everyone, and welcome. My name is Becky. I'm on staff here at Pleasant Street Church, and it's a joy to be together for this church gathered here at Pleasant Street. Um, I do have a couple of announcements, uh, but first off, if you are joining us online, welcome to you as well. We're glad that you have chosen to join us. Uh, there, for those of you that are members of Fairwoods, Mike Anima has a special gift for you. It's a wristband to show that you belong, and of course we all belong. Um, but Oh, did I say Mike Anima? I'm sorry. Mike Bangma, where are you? He's out there. Okay, perfect. So Mike Bangma has a wristband for you. If you are already a Fairwoods member, please see Mike Bangma in the fellowship hall after church, and then he will give you a special wristband. Okay? Um, also, out in the fellowship as well is, are you ready for this? Serve is coming. And so there is a bulletin board out there in the fellowship hall with lots of information on it as well as some sign-ups. So go check that out, and we're getting excited for that to happen. August 4 through 8 is the date. August 4 is a Wednesday night. We will be here and having worship, and then we'll be having, uh, let's see, that will be Wednesday night. So Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Sunday, we're going to culminate with worship and then a church picnic that will be at Fairwoods and the famous boat races will be happening during that time too. So it should be a lot of fun for that whole event, an intergenerational event. So it's not just for the kids, it's for all of us to get involved. So check that out on the board out there. Now, this week we're gonna, uh, also John Brisma, welcome John. John will be leading us and uh, preaching this morning, so we're so glad for that. And we're gonna be reflecting on Psalm 27, which talks about God being our refuge and our light and our salvation, a stronghold. So we're going to be starting this morning with the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now, on the second verse of A Mighty Fortress, some of you probably will remember that there's some weird words in there. Lord Sabaoth. Does that ring a bell? Lord Sabaoth. And how many of you along with me have said, what in the world does that mean? And you just go along and you sing the song and you sing the words and you don't really know what it means. You think maybe, oh, maybe we're asking the Lord to do something like Sabbath, like Sabbath the day or something like that. It never quite made sense to me. Well, I would like to share a little tidbit of information for you that I have gleaned from my worship leadership course. Lord Sabaoth is actually a name for God. Like we have Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider, right? Lord Sabaoth, Sabaoth means hosts or armies. So Lord Sabaoth means that it is a warrior name for God. For our God who fights for us, for our God who is mighty to save. So, Lord Sabaoth doesn't mean Lord do something, it means Lord Sabaoth is his name, a fighting God who fights for us with his warrior hosts. So keep that in mind as we're singing the words for that song, and I think that those words now will start to make a little bit more sense as we go along. All right? 
Okay, I've done enough talking. Let's quiet our hearts now and prepare for worship. Loving God, you created heaven and earth out of nothing. You uphold and rule heaven and earth by your eternal counsel and providence. We give you praise, almighty God. Come and inhabit our worship this morning. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit as we begin and say our call to worship. Let us worship God, our light and our salvation. We desire to live in God's house and to seek God in his holy temple. Let's sing and make music a mighty fortress.
love those last words. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, stand before the throne. It has nothing to do with what we have done, no, many, no matter how many good things we do. It's only because of Jesus that we're able to stand before that throne of God when the time comes. It's also why we're able to come before God and offer our prayers of confession, recognizing that we do not live our lives the way that we should all the time. But yet, because of what Jesus has done, we can bring our confessions before the Lord and become right with him. Remember last year, I think I talked to you about cleaning out my bushes and doing all that pruning, taking out all the dead stuff so that the growth can come. And so this is why we bring our confession before the Lord. Not because, not because we um, have to, because it makes us right before God, because Jesus has already done that, but because it helps us to recognize that it is only through Jesus, and it's, that brings us the forgiveness to be able to offer our prayers to God. So will you join me as we say this call, this prayer of confession together? Let's pray. Loving Father, we confess that sometimes we think we can do things all by ourselves, and sometimes we are worried about things. We forget that you give us everything we have, and that you make us who we are. Please forgive us for thinking about ourselves first. Please forgive us for not trusting you to take care of us. Thank you for always loving us, even when we forget that we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's consider those words and bring our silent confession before the Lord. Thank you, loving Father, for hearing our prayer. Amen. So friends, hear these good news of assurance. To all who turn from sin in sorrow, to all who turn to God in hope, this is God's word of grace. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We are loved. This gift we have from God, and we say together in response, thanks be to God. I invite you to rise again now as we sing a song of response, that one that we practiced, I will wait for you.
Wait for you. 
Amen. Friends, in light of that forgiveness that we're waiting on the Lord, we can live our lives gratefully. Hear these words from the contemporary testimony, Our World Belongs to God. Our world, fallen into sin, has lost its first goodness. But God has not abandoned the work of his hands. Keeping his promise, he sends Jesus into the world, pours out the Holy Spirit, and announces the good news. Sinners who repent and believe in Jesus live anew as members of the family of God, the first fruits of the new creation. Together, we rejoice in the goodness of God, renounce the works of darkness, and dedicate ourselves to holy living. As covenant partners set free for joyful obedience, we offer our hearts and lives to do God's work in the world. With tempered impatience, eager to seek injustice ended, we expect the day of the Lord. We are confident that the light that shines in the present darkness will fill the earth when Christ appears. Together, come Lord Jesus, our world belongs to you. So friends, the peace of Christ be with you because our world belongs to God and we say together, let's share that peace with each other. Can I have all the kids in Kid Street come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is uh, Mike Anima. I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street. Um, and 
As you saw, my kids were up here singing. My wife is actually going to be playing clarinet today, so I figure it'd be really awkward if I didn't have something to do today as well. So I figure I don't have wristbands to hang out, but uh, I, will, I will lead us in prayer this morning. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you that we're able to come before you today, worship you. We thank you for giving us this space and time to sing your praises and give you the worship that you deserve. Lord, give us the desire to serve you in all areas of our lives, and may we be true image bearers of you to all that we meet. But Lord, forgive us when we fail to do this. Make us aware of where we fall short so that we can recognize more that we need your grace. Lord, we thank you for this summer season where we can look forward to vacations and spending time with loved ones. We thank you that this year many of us are more able to travel and can take true breaks from the busyness of our lives. We ask that you'd be with Pastor Matthew and his family, especially this week. May this time away be refreshing for them. Uh, We also ask that you'd be with others that are traveling or have traveled. Thank you for the safe traveling mercies that you've provided and give the, those that are still away, uh, bring them home safely. Lord, this morning we rejoice with Oscar as he celebrates his 91st birthday. Lord, we rejoice with all those celebrating birthdays and anniversaries and graduations in this season. Thank you for milestones that help us to remember your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you for the ability to host a serve project again this year. It's so exciting, and it's such a wonderful thing that we can do that. Be with those that are planning and leading this project. Provide them with what they need to accomplish this task again well. Raise up volunteers and participants where they're needed. And may we use this opportunity to work in the lives of all involved. We thank you for uh, this opportunity to be salt and light to many in our community. And Lord, may you be glorified in all that's accomplished. Lord, we ask that you be with those in our congregation and greater community that are struggling. We ask that you'd provide healing to those in need, provide solace to those who are mourning. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who hears us when we pray. Lord, this morning we ask that you be with John as he brings us your word. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and help us to to, to listen to what you have to say to us. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Good morning, Pleasant Street. I just want to take a quick moment. I just want to say I'm sitting all the way in the back. It wasn't even three months ago, four months ago, where I would, say, where I would hear Becky say the passing of the peace, and we would just all look at each other and just a slight head nod. And you just see the fellowship. It's really beautiful. So today's word comes from Psalm 27, from the book of David. And it goes like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
when the wicked advanced against me to devour me. It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. And though a war break out against me, even then I will still be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For the day, in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, and he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock, that my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me. Answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me the way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to, my, to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses will rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ishai was a man of great pride, wealth, reputation, and blessing. One would have thought this would make Ishai happy, but it did not. No amount of money, offspring, or accomplishments could make up for the stain in his family background. You see, his father, Boaz, had married a foreigner and according to Jewish law, all descendants of that union down to the 10th generation were unclean. Deuteronomy 23 verse 2 says, No one born of a forbidden marriage, nor any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. Eshai was born from that union of a Jewish man and a Moabite woman. In spite of his being on the high court, having considerable wealth, being a descendant of a famous Jewish family, and certainly highly revered in the town, he knew his family background, and he knew what the Torah said about that. It was an unerasable blot on his family name, and it gnawed at Ishai daily. Ishai had a beautiful wife who bore him seven strapping young boys who would be a help in the family shepherding business. He was proud of them. Seven was a number of God's blessing and the perfect number. He wanted no more. His quiver was full, as they say. 
His wife, however, wanted one more. And so she tricked and seduced Eshai and became pregnant again. Eshai was furious. He forbade his wife and the unwanted eighth son from ever sitting at his table or entering his bedroom again. Nesiver, his wife, and the unwanted eighth son ate alone each mealtime. Eshai taught his other sons to reject and despise this youngest son too. And when this despised eighth son was old enough, Eshai sent him far away to watch the flocks. He might as well treated him as if he were dead. Who is this rejected and despised son of Eshai? Eshai, better known as Jesse? It was none other than David. Yes, that David. This is a story of David that we don't often hear. But perhaps it explains the angst that David often expresses in his poetry. Rejected by his father, mocked by his siblings, sent off alone to watch sheep with little encouragement or support, David knew struggle and heartache. He knew loneliness and suffering. Perhaps some of you can relate to David's abandonment and isolation, rejection and bitterness. What did David do to deserve that? He was simply born into the family. Psalm 27 may be David's response to this life story. Who does one turn to when rejected and hated? When family and friends leave you, what do you do? Remember what happened when Samuel the prophet came to anoint a new future king to take over for Saul? He was directed to Eshai, or Jesse's, house. Jesse is certain that one of his first seven sons will be anointed. Each has become a mighty warrior in the Israelite army, tall, handsome, much like their father. The town would be proud to have the next king come from their village. As each is paraded in front of Samuel, Samuel waited for an indication from God that one of these was to be king. No such prodding came. Samuel was confused. Did he hear God's voice wrong? Did he turn onto the wrong street? Do you have more sons? Asked Samuel with a hint of puzzlement. Jesse is at first confused and then frustrated and probably horrified. Could David, the despised one, be the choice of God? And Jesse's face must have burnt, burned red with anger and embarrassment at the same time. He called for David to come. It may well have taken hours to find David. And when David arrived, God nudged Samuel to anoint this one. Why this one? Well, it's not his appearance, though there was certainly nothing wrong with how he looked. The Bible describes him, as well as his brothers, as handsome and healthy. When Samuel considers Eliab as a fine choice, God says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. It was David's faith in his heart for God that made him stand out. 
What kept David going in those years of rejection? Well, he leaned on his heavenly father for his affirmation and his source of hope. He found his peace and his hope in the promises of God. God became his light, his confidence, and his salvation. And I just wonder how much of Psalm 27 may have been inspired by this. And so I'd like to look at this psalm a little more closely with you. In verse 1, David calls God his light and salvation. Now, light in Jewish history evokes several images. David may have had in mind several items. First, the fire and the cloud that led Israel through the desert after leaving Egypt. The Jewish concept of this is that God was walking and the fire and the clouds were his feet. They literally followed his feet. God was the light that led them, and, and maybe David may have felt that God was leading him, and he strived to follow God, the source of his light. A second reference may have been the light in the temple, or the tent where God lived, or perhaps later the more permanent structure of the temple, Solomon's temple. Inside were lamps or menorahs that glowed at night, kind of like if it was nighttime here and the we had all the windows open, the shades open, and you looked from outside, you could see light pouring out. It was the same concept for the Jews in Jerusalem. The light, the menorahs in the temple would light the temple building up, and at night, the stream of light would pour out through the openings in the temple. Light for them was such a warm, comforting feeling. It was basically the idea that of God's presence. That it was symbolic of God's presence. Later in Israel's history, 168 BC, the Jews would rebel against God's pagan, uh, sorry, Greek pagan culture. Judas Maccabeus and his brothers formed the revolt against the Greeks and Antiochus IV. The revolt lasted over a week. No priests were around to light the menorahs. They were all involved in the rebellion. And yet, every night, those lamps stayed lit. Every night, the light beamed out from the temple to the city, and as people looked up and saw that light, it was God's presence with them. Encouragement, just a source of hope to them. God kept the lamps burning to give the Jews hope and to assure them of his presence. And this is how Hanukkah was established. Jews light the menorah for eight days or eight nights to remind them of God's warm presence in their lives. Perhaps a third image for David was that God was the light at the burning bush with Moses. God's light or fire was the presence of God giving direction and purpose to Moses. Moses would rescue God's people from slavery, and God would lead them out of Egypt to freedom. And similarly, David may have felt that it was God who gave him direction and guidance in his life. God's light fills one with comfort, but direction and meaning and purpose and hope. It saves one from despair and lack of direction in life. How brightly does God's light burn within you and me? Can you see God's light in your life? Do you feel his presence? 
Conversely, what things cause the light to dim in your life? God has a plan and a purpose for you and I. Look for that light as David did. In verse 1b, David uses the word stronghold or fortress. In some versions, we might read refuge or defense. I suspect David may have had in mind the fortress you're looking at here, where he hid from Saul when Saul wanted to kill him. With David a hunted man, due to Saul's jealousy after Samuel anointed him to be king, we know David went into the Judean wilderness to hide from Saul. It is entirely possible he came upon this structure, later called the Masada. And Masada means fortress. This fortress was a natural rock formation that had a reputation for safety and defense. David may have found his refuge here from Saul. King Herod later used it as a place to run off to if he ever felt in danger. And in that regard then, as you look at the picture, God is like a Masada in our life. He's our source of assurance and protection, a rock that cannot be moved. I wonder sometimes if we today metaphorically think of our fortress as our 401k, our stock portfolio, our house with latest security devices, or maybe it's our workout routine that's supposed to keep us healthy for a long, long time. What's the fortress in your life? Is it something other than God? In verses 2 and 3, David shares with us what concerns him. He feels attacked. Is it his family members who have slandered him? Unbelievers who mock his God? Some feel that this psalm may have been written when David was becoming king. And is he worried about his political enemies? He doesn't really tell us the specifics of what he's worried about. And at first you might think, I wish you would tell us what you're worried about exactly. Who are the people? But actually, many psalms do this. They are more generic than they are specific. And that's actually helpful to us because if they were specific, we'd say, well, that's not me or that's not my problem or they're not after me. But if they're more generic about fear, isolation, or hopelessness, or wor you know, worry, danger, well, we can relate to those things. And so by being somewhat generic, we actually can relate to them more because we have those same kinds of feelings, but maybe not that exact situation. So maybe his problems aren't exactly my problems, but the feelings are there. We all have times when someone tells us that life maybe is, sorry, we all have times when people say something to us that is not fair. Words that are unfair, untrue but they hurt nonetheless. Has a fellow employee talked about you behind your back? Do you feel your family disagrees with your political views? Do you just find yourself being mocked for your spiritual stance? David reminds us to stand strong in the confidence that we get from God. We have a mighty fortress, a Masada, an almighty God supporting us. In verses 4 and 5, David really gets to the heart of the psalm here. His single greatest desire in life is to be in the presence of God. He specifically wants to go into the temple or the tabernacle. 
depending on when this was actually written. God lives there. All right, we know God is anywhere and everywhere, but it's in the temple where God formerly lives. And David wants to be in that presence. Likewise, we most formally meet in this building. While the building is nice, the sanctuary is nice, it's really God we want to meet here. Notice that David really isn't interested in inspiration or rejuvenation or to be blessed. He just wants to be in the presence of God. Just God. Just his love. Just his assurance. It's kind of like when a young child is afraid. No one calls, sorry, no one calms them down like mom or dad. It's a place of comfort and peace. Like a shelter in the midst of a storm. Being in God's presence breaks down the fears and the worries and the concerns, and they melt away in God's presence. What does David want to see in God? His beauty. Now, all right, we men don't exactly want to be described as beauty or beautiful, do we? We want handsome, maybe muscular, once in a while maybe cute, but not beauty, That's not us, but for God, yes. And for God, beauty is not a physical description here, as we might think it is right away. As spirit, God has no physical description. It's more about his power and his love and his goodness. Notice these passages about God's beauty. Psalm 96, verse 6, NLT version Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. Or the message puts it this way. Psalm 96.6, God made the heavens. Royal splendor radiates from him. A powerful beauty sets him apart. Or Psalm 50, verse 2. From Mount Zion, the perfect beauty of God, sorry, the the perfection of beauty, God shines in glorious radiance. The beauty of God is God's goodness. Moses experienced a sense of this when he went up to Mount Sinai to meet God. There he learns about God's power, his love for his people, and how he wants a close relationship with them. In Exodus 33:18, Moses asks if he can see the glory of God. Can I see you, God? And God says, yes. Hear God's self-description. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The glory of God, or the beauty of God, is his goodness, his mercy, and compassion. Now when Moses comes down from the mountain, he's got this glow about him, a radiance about him. He has powerfully experienced the presence of God, his glory and his beauty. He knows now God's goodness and his mercy and his compassion. How badly do you and I want to know God? How much do we really desire to be in his presence? How special is it to be there in the building, to be here, 
and be in God's presence. When David seeks God, his problems melt away. His priorities are reoriented. Jesus himself told us in Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When God is first, other things fall into their proper place, and we are less stressed. An interesting side note, we as humans are created in the image of God. When we as a church show love and compassion to others, when we then are then filled with God's beauty. When we welcome the outcast and care for the hurting and comfort the mourning, we live out God's beauty. As image bearers of God, we can share God's beauty that way. And I think that's a really holy and awesome task for us. I think that's so cool to think about. In verses 4 and 5, David says three times he wants to meet God. First in the house of the Lord, then in the temple, and then in his sacred tent. Why in the temple or the tabernacle? Because this is where God lives. But more specifically, God lived on the Ark of the Covenant, in the Holy of Holies, in the temple or tabernacle. No one entered this space. <coughs> Excuse me. But a priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. And David knew that on that one day each year, a priest entered this room to sprinkle blood on the, from a bull on the Ark. This blood was a reminder that God forgave sin. Only through the forgiveness of sin could one find a right relationship with God. And David knows that only here can a real, genuine, honest relationship with God be found. And it would be Jesus later who would be that ultimate blood sacrifice for sin to make it so that we could be right with God. It's the beauty of God, a love so powerful for us that he would let his son die for us, giving us a rightness with God. The real beauty of God is found in the death of his son for us. Knowing now that he can find love and mercy and compassion in the house of God, David is compelled to sing God's praises. In verse 6, he says, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Isn't that why we sing here? We use the lyrics of our songs to tell God how great he is, how loving he is, and how merciful he is. We tell God we love him too. <coughs> Excuse me. When we seek God in his beauty... We too sing and make music to the Lord as David did. Both the tunes and the lyrics, but especially the lyrics, are ways that we give praise to God. Excuse me a second. <clears throat> I can tell I'm not teaching anymore. I lose my teacher voice. In verses 7 through 12, David asks for something strange. He knows no one can see God's face and live. And yet, what does he do? He asks to see God's face. 
But what is he asking for here? In Hebrew, to see God's face is not a literal request. He's asking God to act kindly toward him. For instance, imagine there's a small girl who's afraid. Maybe there's been a bad storm or she's had a bad dream. She's beside herself. (coughs) She calls for help. Her dad comes to her side. He faces her and he speaks softly. I'm here for you. I won't let anything hurt you. And then he holds her tight. His face is confident, assuring, and warm. The little girl is comforted by his face, which is soft and understanding and confident. Biblically, to hide one's face is to avoid, ignore, or reject. To see God's face, metaphorically, is to know his care, protection, and love. And David knows that this is a father who will love him, not shun him or reject him. And perhaps this is what he missed from his own father. Maybe more than most, David needed the face of a father who loved him. Even if a parent might neglect or ignore a child, says David, God will not. I am here for you. I will protect you, says God. I'll turn my face toward you. And this is the God that David seeks. Kids, God is here for your scraped knees, your boogeyman under the bed, your disappointments in life. For we adults, God says, I'm here for your illnesses, your cancers, and your pain. I'm here for your job losses, your broken relationships. I'm here for you when you have financial struggles and loss of loved ones. I will turn my face toward you. Robert Pedersen, in his book of amazing stories, tells the story of an airliner that crashed just outside of Detroit. In a hurry to reach Phoenix, their destination, the pilots neglected to run through their usual taxi checklist. If they did, they would have discovered that they didn't have electrical power to the aircraft takeoff system. Shortly after, the plane was a blazing fireball as it careened to the ground. It was one of the worst tragedies in airline history as over 150 people died. When the medical examiner surveyed the scene, he declared that it was impossible that anyone could have survived. As rescuers combed through the wreckage, it seemed, sorry, yeah, it seemed that the judgment of total death was in fact correct. But wait, the faint whimper of a young child could be heard. She was huddled under the body of her mother. It seemed that when the plane was at the point of impact, the mother wrapped herself around her child to protect her and save her from the fireball that ensued. The little girl was alive, though scarred. Today, this little girl is a mom herself. And every day, she thanks God for a mother who took on the fireball and was willing to wrap herself around her daughter to save her life. Similarly, we have a father who has chosen to wrap us in love. As we rebel and ignore God's rules for living and invite in the pain of our poor choices, 
God sends Jesus to the cross to take on the fireball of hell so that we would be spared. God turns his face toward us when we need him most. In spite of great pain to himself. As Robert Pedersen says, if Jesus is your refuge, you no longer have to search for other shelter. Finally, in verses 13 and 14, David shares his confidence in God. God is there for him. However, God does things in his own timing. God wants to give us good gifts, but his timing, his timing, is best. Can we trust him, knowing that he is a loving and merciful God? Can we wait for his best? When a college athlete is recruited to redshirt for a team, it means the freshman athlete will have to wait <clears throat> to officially get to be part of the team. One will not suit up for games or travel. The redshirt athlete gets to practice with the team and be trained by the coaches, but otherwise has to wait to really participate. Because an invitation to redshirt is an invitation to wait, a lot of student athletes might not enthusiastically accept that offer. However, there are several advantages to redshirting, like getting familiar with the team playbook and getting physically stronger in the weight room. Having an extra year to develop in order to be effective in the long run can actually be pretty smart. In fact, Pittsburgh Steelers running back Le'Veon Bell and Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson were both redshirted in college. These men are two of the most dynamic players in the NFL, but they had to wait their turn to play in college before they rose to stardom. Russell Wilson and Le'Veon Bell waited, and they were rewarded for their patience. David was anointed king at a young age, but he had to wait several years before he would be Israel's king. Are we willing to wait for God's best? Buried deep in the annals of Jewish history, there is the story of David, rejected by his father and brothers, yet loved by God. When life was difficult, David did what he found most helpful. He spoke to God. He found his comfort in pursuing a God who cares and loves him. His confidence in God carried him through the battles with enemies, whether that be King Saul chasing him, nations that attacked him, or just battles with his own self-worth. We read in Psalm 27 how David desires to meet God and enjoy his goodness and love. His passionate pursuit of God is the perfect soothing agent to a life of challenges and trials, rejection and heartache. He expresses his confidence in this unchanging God who has promised to forgive sin and shines his face on his children. This is the God who wraps his arms of love around us in times of pain and suffering. He gives his children good gifts in his best timing. How much do you and I want to know this God? How much do we desire to be in his presence? May we desire God as David did and find the God of love and beauty 
whose presence we so desperately need in our lives. May I just share these words again, verses 13 and 14. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, may we desire to know you. In our busy lives, in the times of our trials, in our times of fear and uncertainty, our times of self-doubt, Lord, may we desire to know you. We ask that you turn your face toward us and show us your beauty and your love. May we daily feel your presence in our lives. Help us to wait for your timing when we are impatient. We thank you for a Savior, Lord, who took on the fires of hell so that we don't have to face it ourselves. May we love you and serve you and be agents of your beauty here on earth. Accept the words through our songs as a sacrifice of praise to you. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, John. God calls us to worship, and we respond to him. God offers salvation, and we respond with thanks to him. God offers his word to us, and now we respond. This is normally a time when our children come on forward, so I'd like to invite our students in grades three through five to come on up for echo as well as the elders that will help them in their reflection this morning. So come on up. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard, plant it deep in our hearts, and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Thanks be to God. So our children will respond, our students, excuse me, will respond and consider the words that John shared with us from the Lord. We respond as well. This is normally the time when we offer our gifts in our morning offerings. Um, of course, we're still not quite doing that right now physically here during this time. However, your offerings can be received in the, the box in the fellowship hall there. But we are going to respond with the words of the song, If You But Trust in God to Guide You. So I invite you to rise and let's, can, let's sing that song together.
go before you to lead you. May God go behind you to guard you. May God go beneath you to support you. May God go beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. Let the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit come upon you today and settle in and around you. Do not be afraid. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Let's respond with joy. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness,